Kane's Country podcast, there's really there's really very little to talk about this week, so this is going to be a quick one. Uh, we'll see we'll see all the things that, that we get to. How long are we thinking this podcast is going to be, Andrew? Six minutes, nine seconds. Nice. And Ryan, how long do you think it's going to be? Uh, four minutes, 20 seconds. Wow. That was unscripted, by Please the way. Right that was it. just really good performance art by both of you. So round of applause for for both of you. Dude, that was not coordinated. Um, that promise. was not coordinated at all. They did not. They didn't even know how I was going to lead it in, but that's how it happened. And I'm really just proud of the podcast. Uh, it feels like we're at new heights now. It's a really good surprise every week. I hear that you know that lovely uh, Skype ringtone to get me going, and I'm like, "How's Brett going to lead us in today?" <laughs> <laughs> I I always try to just not disappoint, but. Um... You guys did very well with that. Uh, but yeah, this is the Kane's Country Podcast. I'm Brett Finger. Uh, as you just heard, Andrew and Ryan are both here. Uh, how are you guys doing? Last night was a long night. I'm a little sleepy. A little sleepy? I'm feeling pretty good. Feeling a little energized. All right. So you're going to have to carry us here. Um, so a lot of things are happening. Uh, we're recording this on Friday. It's going to post on Friday. But Thursday night, the Hurricanes played Game Two of their series, and they they did so being down one nothing in the series after a double overtime loss to the Bruins in Game One of their first round series. Um, so much is has happened, both with the performance of both teams, and probably more, or somehow more notably the officiating of the series. Uh, there's been some controversy around that one, but uh, we'll get to that later. When we Trust me, we will. Uh, game one, double overtime, 4-3 loss for the Hurricanes. Carolina's offensive leaders, Hayden Fleury, Joel Edmondson, and Brock McGinn led the way uh, with as those expected. three goals, as expected, before the double <laughs> overtime loss. Uh, and I believe Peter Morazic is not didn't start game two because he's currently still sliding on the ice uh, to cover that uh, one-time shot from Patrice Bergeron in double overtime that he slightly overplayed, maybe by a little bit. Uh, but the Hurricanes came back strong in game two and won three to two. Dougie Hamilton scored the game-winning goal. Uh, James Reimer got the net. Um, a, a good number of lineup changes. Gardner left the lineup. Edmondson was out. Nita Ryder was out. And then came Sammy Vatanen. Trevor Van Riemsdyk, and Justin Williams. So, man, all right, games one and two. We'll start with you, Andrew. Thoughts? Well, uh, yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. I think, number one, you know, we talk, we've been talking about this a lot over the past few days in Kane's land, it seems like, but Hayden Fleury is a guy who, you know, on a lot of teams around the league, probably would have been playing consistent top four minutes by now, but... With the Canes blue line just being so good throughout the year, you know, he really, he he had to, you know, fight his way into the lineup. I mean, he was scratched a lot. He, we talked about, I thought he played really well down the stretch. He earned his spot in the playoffs. And these first two games, I mean, his first playoff goal, that's been, but he's played really well defensively and the physicality yeah. too. It's like, where did that come from? I mean, he is, that, some, that early hit that he threw last night, Man, I mean, he's been physical. He's been good, but I mean, overall, and it drew a it drew a Boston unsportsmanlike it, conduct. That's true. Yeah, because they got mad about it. Um, and it was it was a good it was clean a, hit, very clean. Yeah. But 
I think the other biggest story for me is how good things looked last night. Um, Brendan Moore made the decision to break up the SAT line. He took, um, put Svechnikov with Vincent Trocek and Martin Natchez. Um, well, with the exception of the first few minutes of the second period, when I think Bill Peters would have been confused by what the Hurricanes were rolling out, but fourth line Svechnikov. Yeah, but first he, line I Martin. Mean, he got back on that line, and I thought the lines looked good. You know, I didn't, I didn't see a ton from Aho, Teravainen, and Fogel at even strength. Although Aho had that great play to draw the penalty, and then Teravainen scores in that power play. But man, that um, that pass from Natchez to Svechnikov on the goal, and, and Natchez had a great game all, all around. I mean, he had the pass to Dougie Hamilton too. Um, and I thought Svechnikov really dialed things up in terms of his physicality, uh, borderline hit on Charlie McAvoy notwithstanding. He had some other big hits in the game. So I thought the biggest difference between game one and game two was that the Hurricanes needed their best players to be their best players. And when you look at who scored with Teravainen, Hamilton, and Svechnikov, you look at the way Aho played – I think they got that, and that's what they're going to have to keep getting throughout the, if they're going to win this series. Right. Yeah, I think a big thing from the series so far is game one, even going to double overtime was surprising. The Bruins really should have taken that game early. There was a lot of empty nets that Jake DeBrus missed twice, I think, on an open cage. Was there was cool. a few posts. And so that game was a lot closer than it should have been, but I feel like the Canes settled in that third period and they kind of got rolling. First overtime was a little slow, and second overtime didn't last much longer. But I feel like this second game was really where the Canes started like to feel and like, get into their own game, their own rhythm. And the line changes may have been to you know help break up. The first line, game one, was getting really shut down. They were almost invisible throughout most of it. They just couldn't get anything going. And I feel like mm. the decision by Brendan Moore to break it up really kind of helped give more scoring depth throughout the lineup. And I really like seeing Natchez with Svech together. I feel like Natchez is an all-around going to be an elite passer and Svech is a finisher. That really gives you more options of where you can slot Svech in the lineup. It's not a downgrade to go down just with Trocek and Natchez if you know, they can really set up his play. And I think that's another huge thing we're seeing in the series is the, really the maturity level of the young players stepping up. Like Martin Natchez is all-around. He's gotten better and better each game of this postseason, I feel. Sveshnikov has become unreal in the playoffs. He's become a playoff performer, even just in his second year. Hayden Fleury, who Andrew just talked about, has really stepped up his game. I think the big message and the big thing going forward in this series is going to be if these young players maturing and just really stepping into these big roles. Yeah. Um, the the Martin Natchez uh, play has been, has been something that's really stood out to me as well. Uh, not even... You know, I think you both touched on him being more of an all-around player. It's definitely more than um, just just the offensive zone stuff. He's forcing turnovers. He's he's getting into the physical game as much as he can because he's a pretty slight player, but he's still throwing his body around. Um, so he hasn't been afraid of that. He's you know he's he's pretty elusive too. You know, he's not afraid to go to uh, uh, you know highly populated areas uh he can he can kind of duck and dive away from from hits if he needs to and 
on paper his game with Svechnikov should pit or should fit very well. Um, the decision from game one to obviously a double overtime game. I don't think anybody anyone was really surprised that they went from Mrazek to to Reimer. Uh, Ryan, what did you think about Reimer in game two compared to Mrazek in game one? I really like the way James Reimer plays. He's a lot more calm and collected player. And I think we saw not any fault in Mrazek. Mrazek made a bunch of big saves in game one, but there was a lot of times where the cage would kind of be left open. I feel like a lot of the time defensemen were leaving guys open. The Bruins were really good at cycling behind the net, getting open, getting open looks. But like you, like with Bergeron's overtime winner, Mrazek has a tendency to kind of slide and make too much overplay. of a jump sometimes overplay yeah. things where Reimers can play in his net more due to his larger frame. He can go back in the nets more and he's more common collected in his overall game. And I think that was very beneficial kind of in shutting the Bruins down more so and not giving them as many open looks. And I think, you know, Reimers really blossomed into like a one B tandem goaltender with Morozik. And it's almost as if he can, you know, like Brendan Moore says, it's like the team has two starters and they can go with either or. And I've really been impressed by what Reimer has been able to do in this postseason. For sure. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that uh, when we get to Twitter questions here in a little bit. Um, all right. We, we went about we went almost 10 minutes without talking about officiating. So I think that's good for us. I think that's just about it. And I think it's time that we talk about officiating because that's been a hot topic in this series. Uh, where to begin? That'll be 25K, Brett. Where to be... <laughs> yeah, Tom Dundon ain't paying your fine. And, yeah, I can I can assure you Tom Dundon will not be paying my fine. Um, so it started in game one. Brady Shea had his stick slashed out of his hand. Uh, no call. He got called for, uh, I believe, holding a few minutes later. Uh, no, I believe he got called for hooking a few minutes later. Uh, then the hurricane stick on the ice. The, yeah, the, yeah, that was a uh, trip. Tracy wasn't a fan of that one. That's for sure. Uh, the Hurricanes challenged uh, Boston's second goal in Game One uh, for goalie interference slash no, they, hand they pass. They challenged it for the hand pass, hand pass but apparently it, the hand pass was fine. But there was goalie interference. But the Hurricanes didn't challenge for goalie interference, so the goal stood or something. Um, what was great about that was, (laughs) what was great about that was that they came back to him and in the review, they said that Morazic had possession. So they were admitting that the goal should not have counted, but the Hurricanes technically didn't challenge for the right thing. So the goal stood, uh, Rob Brindamore had some choice words for, for the officiating on that one and was fined $25,000 plus a conditional $25,000 if he does it again. And at this uh, rate, uh, there's a very good possibility that might happen. And moving on to game two, Jordan Saul had his helmet ripped off by Charlie McAvoy while a referee was looking directly at it. That was not called. McAvoy even carried the helmet in his hand for a few seconds after he ripped it off. Um, so it, it seemed pretty purposeful. Uh, no penalty was called. A controversial one was... Tavo Teravina was uh, whistled for interference on uh, Tori Krug, which was pretty borderline uh, to be generous. And the Bruins ended up scoring on that power play to tie the game. Um, a lot of stuff. You forgot the disallowed goal. The disallowed goal as well. Well, 
I don't know if I, you know, I, I don't know what y'all's opinion on that is. I, I feel like that, that, that shouldn't have been a goal. Um, I'm, I think, I, I'm, I think I'm, I said more. this during the game, it's goaltender interference. So you literally just flip a coin. It doesn't yeah. matter what the rule book sure. says. It yeah. doesn't matter what prior like decisions are. It's literally the refs. Usually the call they make on the ice is what will stand. And mm-hmm. it's, it doesn't matter what the rules say. It's a coin flip at this point. There's no way anybody can really interpret what is or isn't goaltender interference at this point yeah. with just years of what the league has done, not even with just the game. I think it was a questionable challenge because of the precedent the league has always set. Yeah, and that's the important part uh, is who you're dealing with here. Um, so, yeah, I, I expected that goal to be overturned, and it was. So, I mean – there's a lot of there's a lot of complaining and a lot of it's justified some of it may be overboard uh andrew i'll start with you are the hurricanes right to be this upset about the officiating well especially with the game one thing i think yes i mean to not tell him what there is for him to challenge and make him guess i mean that's it's pretty I mean, ridiculous Moore said, yeah. he said that's where the league is a joke and i think he's right i mean because what happened with that was um, in the NHL media Zoom, it wasn't that we didn't nobody tried to ask about the officiating. The they NHL cut the Zoom off that day after like four and a half minutes, and as they were cutting it off, you could hear Brendan Moore saying, "Wait, they didn't ask me about." And then I guess um, Luke DeCock of the News and Observer and Sarah Simeon of the Athletic both reached out to him. Um, shout out to them for some good reporting there and got his thoughts on the officiating and he gave some thoughts, most of which we cannot, um, yeah, words we cannot use on this podcast. Yeah. But I think he was right about that. And I think, I mean, look like watching game two, I don't like to complain about officials, but I mean, when you've got Jordan Stahl getting his helmet ripped off in front of the officials, a that's, that's the most egregious one for me. You're it's going to compound everything else throughout the game like the whole thing with um McAvoy with the elbow to the head on Svechnikov and then Svechnikov hitting him from behind yeah they should have seen the McAvoy thing but like you guys both know they always see the second one um the Teravainen one where the guy trips over his skate yeah that was a pretty bad call but like we've seen that happen before but when like when you're starting from the point that you are then I think you earn the scrutiny on everything else. So I would say that the Hurricanes are right to be upset. Can I read out? Um, I'm going to read out what Brendan Morris said, and I'm going to use the power of editing to potentially bleep out some things. <laughs> we have a goal horn. Uh, we will have something. I can promise you that. Um, because this is just, <laughs> this is just an experience. So this is according to Sarah Sivian. This is her uh, Twitter thread again, like Andrew said. Thank you to to Sarah for for the work that she did here. Quote, the guy comes to me and says, it's either goalie interference because he has it and the guy knocked it out of his hand or it's a glove pass. You got to pick one. Either way, it's no goal. What? You have to tell me what the call is. He's telling me to pick one. Continued. He comes to me and says, pick one. I'm like, well, it's one of the two. (laughs) There's absolutely no way that can be a goal. He's putting it on me to pick it. Well, you tell me what you're calling. You're calling he had it? Then it's goalie interference. If you're saying he didn't have it, 
you're not telling me what call you're making and I have to pick one. Then they go upstairs and say, oh, he had possession? It's This is where the league is a joke. There's more. There's, there's, there's a little bit more. There's no way that's a goal in any league. We have a million people doing this and they can't get it right. That's the problem with this league. He also referred to it as a crime scene. Yeah, the crime scene part was good. That was, that was a nice touch, I yeah, felt like. Yeah, it's a crime scene. I mean, and, those quotes are, one, they're great. They're, they're just great. Um, and they're kind of right. They're right. And I do want to say this, though. I fully, fully believe that Rod Brendan Moore was livid about the officiating, and he wanted to get those those um, complaints out. But if he yes. was saying they didn't ask me about such and such at the end of the Zoom, and he was then willing to talk to Sarah and Luke after the fact, There's my a point personal to it. opinion, he, had, he knew what he was doing. He had that plan. And I think most of it was about being upset with the officiating. I also think part of it, I mean, when your coach rips into the officiating and is willing, knowing, I mean, he knew damn well he was going to get fined yes. if he said those things. I mean, come on, you know how the NHL works. Um, I, th- I think it was part part of the intention was probably to fire up the players too. Sure, and you know, I mean, he's smart. He knows what he's doing. He played in the league for a long time. And, and Dougie talked about it after the game last night. He was saying that, you know, that they stood up, or Rod stood up for his guys, and they wanted to stand up for him and go to bat for him and, and win for him. And, I mean, he's an NHL head coach. I mean, he he knows what he's doing. And I, I definitely, exactly, it's, it's, it's part of it. And I think that, you know, it's not an accident. Yeah, I think just in general, it's like it's playoff hockey and people say like, you know, just let them play. And that's a lot of times what happens with the refereeing is they just let the most egregious things go, but then they pick, they cherry pick what the call it's like, Oh, this is now a penalty all of a sudden after it's happened six different times. And I don't think they care which team it is. It's like the most bizarre stuff. I think even Seth Jones was talking about it after their quintuple overtime after Atkinson was taken down by Hedman on a breakaway. And then Jones was called for like Jones said he was called for a similar play, and he said he would like to see the referees like at the presser table like themselves have to explain these calls. And I feel like that could go a long way in making them responsible because I feel like it, it's so cherry picked. It's like things are let go, but things are also picked up. It's like there's no rhyme or reason to what is called in the playoffs. Amen. So we went ten minutes without talking officiating. And we gave you 10 minutes of officiating talk. I think that's fair. I think Pretty we're efficient. good. I think we're good to move on. And what we're moving on to is what the Hurricanes and Bruins are moving on to. Game three on Saturday at noon Eastern. A nice little noon game. Uh, on NBC. On NBC. And you won't have to wake up uh, or you won't have to turn on your TV at 11 a.m. to NBC it this time. So... Oh dear God, Brett! What do you? Something happened. What happened? Nothing. Uh, actually, I just I just had a moment. I just had a um, just, just a moment there. Something happened. Oh. Okay. 
All right. Okay. Game three, Saturday at noon. How? how where do these teams go after after game two? Uh, the Hurricanes finally escaped the the curse that had been Boston, um, dating back to the ECF of last season. They finally have a win against Boston in the playoffs. Will they build on it, or will the Bruins be the Bruins and come back and push back? It's going to be interesting. For one thing, they've played two games in this series. It feels like they've played like eight games. Um, it really just does. With, obviously with the double overtime in game one. And then, I mean, so last, much has happened. Last night's game almost felt longer than that game. Yeah. Um, more draining. But, I mean, it's going to be interesting. You know, normally, in a normal playoff circumstance, if the Canes win game two in Boston and you're talking about games three and four coming to PNC Arena, you're you're feeling really good, I think. But I, that kind of goes out the window now. I think the biggest thing is uh, Brendan Moore has last change so he can pick his matchups a little bit better, especially with that top line if Pasternak is able to play. I mean, I think the Hurricanes certainly have momentum. You know, they didn't play well at all really in game one they didn't play great for a lot of game two but they got a split i mean yeah i think if they can keep getting to their game more and more like they did in game two they've definitely got a chance here i think it'll definitely be a series i mean i think a lot of times you know commentators talk about last change a lot and i think it does go a long way when you know you get your shutdown pair against the Kansas top line i think that could be you know, maybe not a huge difference, but I feel like maybe a play or two here or there, maybe swing tides. I think it'll be a big question of goaltending. Is well, I think we'll get to that in a little later. But who we think should start for the Canes? But the question will like Tuka Rask had some comments, and I don't. I'm not going to read too much into them. He's talking about how it just doesn't feel like a playoff atmosphere to him, and all that, and he doesn't feel like you know peak shape or whatever. But he. It's definitely a different Tuka Rask than we saw last season. He completely stonewalled the Canes. He single-handedly pretty much won that series for Boston. And I think, you know, the Canes are seeing a more human Tuka Rask. And I don't know if it's, as is common suggests, there's something more to it. But I feel like with him playing and the Canes getting to their game, there's a really good chance for the Canes moving forward. That's such a weird thing for Tuka. I mean, there were a couple within that really weird stuff for Tuca to yeah. say, it felt like. Um, yeah, the it, it, it does feel like a different Tuca Rask because, you know, it felt like last year, I mean, even in game one, uh, I don't think it should have gone to overtime. I, I mean, you look at Joel Edmondson's goal, you look at Hayden Fleury's long-range goal. I mean, they were good shots, but those are pucks that you expect Tuca Rask to stop more often than not. Um, and, and in game two, you know, it just wasn't one of those games where he, where he stole the show. So it's, it's kind of surprising in, in that way. Um, but it definitely helps the hurricanes uh, moving forward. And like you said, um, he said a lot of interesting things uh, in, after the game. He said that, it doesn't feel like playoff hockey right now. There's no fans. It feels like an exhibition game. He said that he didn't feel like he's in peak condition currently. Um, 
there's a lot of stuff that he said that you know it, you that you don't usually expect a goalie to say after a playoff loss. And I think Anson Carter on NBCSN yesterday or last night said something along the lines of, "You didn't hear him saying that after Game One," and uh, I thought that was funny. But at the same time, I don't know. I mean, it, 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 it these comments from him they're weird, but they only matter to I think Boston media. And I think Boston fans that already have him painted in a certain light, I don't think it actually affects anything. I, I, I don't really, I mean, it, to me, it's just him being honest and it's coming across the wrong way. But for, for people who want to see Tuka Rask in that negative light, they're just going to take that and they're going to do with it what, what they will. Yeah, and you mentioned Boston fans and media. There's certainly a lot of people who fit that description within both of those groups. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So... Yeah, game three will be interesting, and game four, and we will certainly get a game five. That that much is. It will certain. be a longer series than last year. Yes, they they have won a game. They might just win two, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Elsewhere in the playoffs, some interesting stuff. Not so surprising in the Eastern Conference, Philadelphia won game one against Montreal. Tampa and Columbus will not be a sweep. I predicted a Tampa sweep, and they they will not sweep. They lost game two after winning in 15 overtimes in game one and ruining game one for the Hurricanes and pushing it to 11 a.m., 11 a.m. playoff game. <laughs> the Islanders also won game one over Washington. And by the way, my basis for picking Tampa in a sweep over Columbus uh, was nothing. I based it on nothing just so we're clear. Um, I just wanted to see them sweep, the reverse sweep, and that's that's pretty much what that was. But I did also pick New York over Washington, and I thought that would be a more controversial pick until I saw that I believe four of seven Canes country writers who picked the series picked New York, so I felt way Including less Including all special. three of us, I think. I've, yes, I believe yeah. all three of us picked all three of New us. York over Washington, and we're off to a good start there. Um, in the West, Vegas has a 2-0 lead over Chicago, not surprising. Colorado won game one over Arizona. They'll play again Friday, uh, as will New York and Washington, and I believe Philadelphia and Montreal. Uh, in the Western Conference still, Dallas and Calgary are tied at one. That was a crazy finish last night uh, where Dallas picked up a very important game to win, and then Vancouver won game one over St. Louis. I also picked Vancouver over St. Louis. Did y'all pick Vancouver over St. Louis? I did not. I I just gave the credit to, you know, the defending cup champions. I okay, felt so like Vancouver was, is still a yeah. young team. Yeah. But so that's my controversial shocker. pick then, not New York. Um, well, we know young teams never beat uh, defending cup champions in the first round. It's never happened before. Never I dare happened. You, I dare you to look many years in the past and not excluding last year. And I want you to find a time when that's happened. So, any surprising uh, developments here for any of you? Vancouver a little bit for me because I also picked the Blues. I just think um, the Blues are more battle-tested, more conditioned to this kind of hockey. But again, that's kind of the argument that people were going for with Washington over the Hurricanes last year. Elsewhere, I mean, no. I I thought, you know, Columbus winning game two doesn't surprise me. I I thought they'll at least make a series of it. Yeah, island. The Islanders are, are just 
the way they play with Barry Trotz with their structure is just, mm. I mean they don't score a lot but they're just built for playoff hockey and they have good goaltending and so far all regular season Washington has had the whatever the opposite of good goaltending is from Braden Holtby so that 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 one just felt like an easy upset pick for me yeah the most surprising for me was how close the Montreal Philly game is I don't know it's I just I'm I'm still astounded that Carey Price can be Carey Price still at this point. Yeah, it's, I I thought Philly is such I find Philly to be like the dark horse candidate to run away with the East. They're just so deep, like their forward group is just shockingly deep, like yeah. out of nowhere. And they're stacked, and they just couldn't crack Price really. Granted, Barry. Nate Thompson had one of the worst wide open net misses that I think I've ever seen. <laughs> I don't know if y'all saw that. It was. Yeah. It was an abomination. I mean, uh, I believe, was it Jake DeBrusque who missed a wide-open net in game one? Like, wide, yes. wide, he wide open. Nate Thompson, I was like, that's one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. And then Nate Thompson somehow did something worse. It, it was astounding. Um, but, yeah, these these series are, are good, man. Uh, Colorado, Arizona, I believe Colorado won 3 nothing, but they scored all their goals in, like, a minute and a half or something um, after shelling the coyotes Kemper. Yeah. Just standing on his head for as long as he could. Yeah. He's so good. He's such a good goalie. Did you guys watch the Calgary Dallas game last night? I did. It was insane. That was insane. Uh, Dallas had a two goal lead. Calgary came back and tied the game late. Then Jamie Alexiak of all people scored the game winner with like 30 seconds left. <laughs> It was it was, was crazy. Absolutely. It was such a that, good game. That was, that was definitely a good game to watch after the the, the Carolina Boston game. You know, you're, yeah. you're feeling good, and then you watch a really crazy finish to another game. It usually takes me a minute to get into the late game, especially after covering or watching another game before. Especially like um, Tuesday night um, after the Tampa Columbus game finished, I turned on whatever the late game was. And I couldn't even like force myself Vegas, to like, Chicago, look yeah. directly at the television. I was just like puck brain. Yeah. I felt so exhausted after that quintuple overtime, and it was only like nine thirty, and I was like, I just feel exhausted. Yeah. Uh, thoughts and prayers to our friends over at Raw Charge and the Canon. You guys did. Uh, you guys did some work that night. Yeah. Don't envy that. Don't envy that at all. Um. Before we wrap this up, we're going to head to Twitter questions. We have we have a couple of Twitter questions that were standouts this week. Um, we'll start with AB33 on Twitter. Uh, Kane's fan from Australia, which is unique. Awesome. Number yeah. one Australian Hurricanes fan. I believe it. That's, I mean, that's, that's very notable. Um, we thank you for listening to the podcast and sending in this question. Do you think at some point we could see Geeky centering a line with Svechnikov on the wing? Between Geeky's grit and puck battle success and Svechnikov's skill, I think it could be a winner. Ryan. I feel like if we were going to see it, it would have been that those few minutes at the beginning of the second period. But uh, unless it would be a few years down the line before I think we mm. see something like that. I think having Trocek and Aho to play with Svech, I feel like there's not a good chance you're going to have Geeky move up the depth chart on center and get someone of Svech's skill level, really. I feel like 
you know, having Otto and Trocek are just such better players. But I, I think Geeky will be a player. I think more than grit and puck battle, I think he's fit in as a fourth line center amazingly. But I think he just has an all-around compete level where he can go up the depth chart in a few years, I believe. Yeah, he he's he, really has the skill to do it. But he has some sneaky skill fit. for sure. Like there's there's there are moments where he he'll make a move with the puck and you like I did not see that one coming and you know it's just kind of you know these like spurts of of really high skill level and obviously he put that on display in the WHL and the AHL. Uh, Andrew, do you feel any differently? No, I you know I think you know you mentioned the sneaky skill with Geeky, but when you have guys like Aho and Trocheck and yeah. maybe Natchez one day playing center who have whose skill is more than just sneaky. It's right in your face. I just, <laughs> yeah, he's not hiding any of it. That's for sure. Um, I just don't think that's going to be Geeky's role, playing up with a guy like Svechnikov on a, on a top scoring line. I could be wrong, given what we've seen from him so far. Far be it for me to doubt Morgan Geeky. And I do agree with Ryan that um, he can develop into, I think, a really good middle six center in the mm-hmm. NHL. I just... Um, I think it will be a long time, if at all, before we would see something like that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, really liked Svechnikov, Trocek, Natchez, by the way. Really, it, yeah, really liked that. Big fan. They were put together for a short period of time before the season got suspended. And I remember seeing that and, and tweeting about, that. that's a good one. That's something to go back to at some point. And I'm glad they did because they were... They were really good. Yeah, you, um, I'm sorry. You need to get either. You need to get one of Fogel, who I'm not sure I would would have been my pick to be on a, up with those guys, Niederreiter or Dezingle going with Aho and Teravainen, so that you don't have too much drop off on that line. But if you can get that, and then you get those two lines that are that dangerous, I think that can be. That's I mean, another that's, that's mention a, for the Canes. That's a, I mean, if you get Aho Teravine going with someone, um, then you're talking about an explosive top six because Trocek is just such a quiet, underrated, good player, and he just works well with with skill guys like Natchez and Svechnikov. Um, it, it, and like you said, if, if Aho Teravine and get with someone that, that can, you know, keep up and, and maybe be a, a physical force and potentially a, a finisher with goals, um, they're set up really well. Um, Just imagine our... uh, Natchez and Svechikov opposite circles blasting one-timers. All day. <sighs> Just insanity. Um, and our last question Which goalie do you start? And this is from Kirk on Twitter. Do you Which goalie do you start in game one? Uh, I'm sorry, which game do you start if one game is on the line? And he's referring to Mrazic or Reimer. I'm going to... Ooh, that's tough. That's really tough. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't even know what to say. I don't even know my answer. Because he, uh, here's how I see it. Peter Mrazic will either allow five goals on 25 shots or he will allow one goal on 50 shots. I, yeah. I, like that that's like the thing with him and James Reimer I feel like he'll allow two or three goals and, and that'll be it and 
you know, that, that, that'll be that, you know, like, that's what it feels like, you know, and, and, and even he, I mean, we saw against New York, uh, he can have one of those games where he allows a goal on 35 shots. Um, so I think with like, like the upside I think is with Mrazek, but the consistency and reliability I think is with Reimer. Mrazek has a little bit higher ceiling, but I think Reimer has a significantly higher floor. Exactly, exactly. So for that reason, I think I'm starting Reimer. I agree, especially from the standpoint of if the Hurricanes defensive core is doing what it does and what it's supposed to do, you're not yeah. going to need the you know the one. You shouldn't need the one goal on 50 shots. You should need the guy who's going to give up two goals on 28 shots or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's just so many factors that go into this. It's like, what team are they playing? Are they puck moving? Do they move it across? No, trees? no, or... no, no. This is, it's this like is game it's... one game, no context. <laughs> game, Who do you no start? Context. This is what don't, this is. Don't know your opponent. Oh, Jesus. I'll take the gamble. Fuck it. Go for Marazic. All right. You're going to go Marazic. That's fine. Brett, you're gonna need another bleep button yeah, here. It's yeah, no. Ryan. I mean, My bad. I mean, I, I how many so are we allowed? Up. Do we? Is it written in like the agreement? Uh, it's like a PG thirteen. We get one. I think we. I think we can get a couple. I. I don't think it's. It's totally off limit or off limits. I think we get a few. You might want to just make sure of that. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure of it. Uh, I, I'm gonna. I'm definitely gonna bleep out the Brindamore stuff just for a comedic effect. But you know, outside of that, I think we're fine. You need to use like an you need you need like an obnoxious bleep button. For oh, those. it's going to be obnoxious. If there's anything about this podcast that I will make sure, uh, it's 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 <laughs> that's always obnoxious, obnoxious and that's impossible and to listen to. Um, <laughs> it's gotten us this far, and I think we're going to just ride that wave a little longer. I mean, hell, that's why you brought me in. Yeah, I mean, it's true. <laughs> um. And, and, and speaking of such, we will not have an Arizona Diamondbacks update this week. There's too little time of turnaround, and there's too much work that I want to put into the Arizona Diamondbacks uh, imagery that I don't have time for. So, next week, this is official, okay, Ryan? Uh, you're promising it this time. August 21st. That's my birthday. Happy birthday. We're having a birthday podcast. This, this, that's perfect, then. We're going to have a birthday podcast for Andrew. And we're going to talk about his favorite team, the Arizona Diamondbacks. We're going to talk about his favorite team. <laughs> Ryan's going to bring in some inside scoops. There's going to be a lot to go over. There's going to be about three weeks' worth of Arizona Diamondbacks content to go over. So we're going to have to mark out about 30 minutes for that for you, Ryan. At least. At, At least. least. If you go over, then that's fine. We'll have a two-hour podcast. Um, I think outside of that, we covered just about everything. And uh, this has been the Canes Country Podcast. Uh, my name is Brett Finger. Of course, Andrew Schnicker, Ryan Henkel, we're both here today. Uh, Andrew, where can the people follow you on Twitter and only Twitter? At A-S-C-H-N-I-T-T-5-3. And Ryan? Uh, at R-Y-A-N-H-E-N-K-E-L underscore. You can follow me at Brett underscore Finger. You can follow Canes Country at Canes Country on Twitter. Read the site. There's a whole lot of content going up all the time there. Uh, you can follow the podcast, rate, review it, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to the Canes Country Podcast, uh, or wherever you listen to a podcast, you can listen to the Canes Country Podcast, and we encourage you to do so and share it with everyone you know. We will be back next week to talk about a few more Canes Bruins games, and I'm sure they'll all be very tame, and there will be very little to talk about. Take my word for it. We'll talk to you then. Bye. Thank you.